Welcome to the Peavine Podcast, where each week we bring you the message from our Sunday morning worship service with Pastor Joel Sutherland, and we take timeless biblical truth and help you to apply it in the context of your daily life. You can always join us live each Sunday morning at 8.30, 9.45, or 11 a.m. at our Rock Spring, Georgia campus, or at 11 a.m. at our Rossville, Georgia campus, which is just outside of Chattanooga, Tennessee. Well, hey, thank you to our worship team. Great job. I got so caught up in worship, I forgot I had to preach, and so I didn't get all my stuff done hardly in time, so I'm out of breath, so y'all forgive me. Hey, Mark, Matthew chapter 14, if you have your Bibles online, it will, it'll be up on the screen. You'll be able to follow it there, but again, make sure you're logged in and you get a better experience, but Matthew 14, it'll be on the screen for all of us, uh, no matter where you are, but started a sermon series a couple of weeks ago, The Ultimate Guide to the Christian Life, How to Elevate Your Walk with God. So just briefly, what we all want to do is get to that place in our, our walk with God where we have that, and I keep calling it that mystique level experience with God. That is when we, we feel the Lord speak in our heart, we almost, we don't hear an audible voice, but it almost like we, we have an audible voice guiding us. It's the, it's the mystique of the Christian life. So when I read my Bible, God really speaks to my heart. And when, to get to that level, we sometimes want to just jump to that and forgetting that there's a process for getting there. There are some very practical things that have to be done beforehand before you can get to that place where you're led by the Spirit and led by God. So we're looking at those practical things, how to elevate our walk with God. And so today I want to preach on this subject, uh, seven tips for making, to make talking with God easy. We're going to talk about our prayer lives and look at a story of Jesus on how to make our prayer lives easier. We're going to look at his example on, on prayer. So, so let me kind of dive into that subject. You, you would agree with me, I think, that it feels like everything moves faster now. Do you agree with me? Say amen on that, right? Like it feels that way, right? Everything's faster. Well, all the studies show society is picking up speed. In the book, Social Acceleration, the author says in there that it, since pre-modern times, that human movement has increased by a factor of 100. That human communication has increased by a factor of 10 million. We, we communicate 10 million times faster than pre-modern times. And not only that, human data transmission has increased by a factor of 10 billion. Everything is getting faster. They've even studied how fast we walk. And, and the research shows that since the 1990s, we are walking 10% faster than we did just 20 years ago. And I said, nobody followed Denny around. No, we'd be walking 50% faster if we followed Denny around. He moves so quickly. We, we're living, walking, talking, communicating, traveling faster than we've ever done before. Now, there's some people say it's a bad thing. Some people say it's a good thing. Here's the big worry of everybody. That while we travel and, and, and life moves so much faster, the fear is some really important things are going to get left out. And can I say, as a pastor, as the spiritual leader of a flock, the fear I have, and I think the fear may even extend even out beyond me, the fear is that really important things of the Lord are going to get left out, like some essentials to the Christian life. And one of those essentials that gets left out in the speed of modern life is our time in prayer. Very few Christians have a serious time of devotion 
in prayer to God every single day. As a matter of fact, it's not just Christians. I, I, not long ago, I was, in a, I was in a meeting with about 20 pastors, and when pastors were asked about their prayer life, the vast majority of them, all they could do was apologize. Now, look, I, I protect my own. I'm, I like my own. Like, like I protect pastors, but how can you lead people when you don't spend time with God? How can you lead your family when you don't spend time with God? How can you lead your children? How can you lead those around you when we as believers aren't spending time with God? Now, there, there are reasons why we don't. As a matter of fact, I'll run through most of them. Uh, one is we don't feel worthy. That is, oftentimes we have sin or disobedience in our lives, and we don't pray because we're, uh, that, that sin or disobedience kind of stands as a barricade between us and God in prayer. Uh, another reason is we, we don't know what's in it for us because we kind of view prayer like rubbing the uh, uh, magic genie lamp. Like, Lord, I prayed for a million dollars, where is it? And so when we don't get it and we fail to understand prayer as a relationship with God, not a, not, a, not a genie in a bottle, we start to wonder, well, what's in it for me? Another reason we don't pray is we don't know how, and I'm going to dive into that a little bit today. Another reason we don't pray is we don't uh, think it works. That's called a lack of faith. You know, the Bible says without faith it's impossible to please God. The Bible says this uh, about prayer. Jesus said himself that if you, if you just had the fa a faith of a grain of mustard seed, you can do incredible things. But we don't believe it. And number one reason people don't pray is they say is they're too busy to pray. And the hecticness and busyness of life, too busy to pray. Well, Jesus addressed many of those things in this one passage in Matthew 14. So would you, if you're in the room at Rossville, at home, just follow along. But if you're in, the, in a room, would you stand with us as we honor God's word by reading it? Matthew chapter 14. Now here's what I'm going to do. And the words are on the screen, by the way, if you don't have a Bible. Here, here's what I'm going to do today. I'm going to read this whole story and deal with very little of it. We're going to lead with what goes into the story, but I'm trying to set the context for uh, the sermon today. Matthew 14, verse 22. Immediately he made the disciples get into the boat and go ahead of him, that's Jesus, to the other side while he dismissed the crowds. After dismissing the crowds, he went up on the mountain to, by himself to pray. Well into the night he was there alone. Meanwhile, the boat was already some distance from land, battered by the waves because the wind was against them. Jesus came toward them walking on the sea very early in the morning. When the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were terrified. It's a ghost, they said, and they cried out in fear. Verse 27, immediately Jesus spoke to them, have courage, it is I, do, do not be afraid. Lord, if it's you, Peter answered, command me to come to you on the water. And he said, come. Climbing out of the boat, Peter walk, started walking on the water and came toward Jesus. But when he saw the strength of the wind, he was afraid. And beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. Immediately Jesus reached out his hand, caught hold of him and said to him, you of little faith, why did you doubt when they got into the boat, the wind ceased, and those in the boat worshipped him and said, Truly, you are the Son of God. Thank you. You may be seated. So, so let me set the context for where we are in Matthew 14. Uh, Jesus is what we would call knee-deep in ministry in chapter 14. Thousands of people are following him. Miracles are being performed. Uh, the disciples are being mentored. And persecution is very intense uh, against him. This is the height of his earthly following success. Like this is when thousands upon thousands, but it's also when the persecution gets more and more intense and the cross looms heavy on the horizon. And so in the midst of the success, in the midst of the persecution, knowing the cross is coming, Jesus makes talking with God a vital part of his day. So let me tell you seven things we learn from Jesus doing it. Number one, you learn this, you cannot run on empty. 
And look at the word. I'll, 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 I'll put it in context in a moment. But the Bible says immediately in, in, chap, in verse 22. Now listen to me. Chapter 14 is a tough chapter in the life of Jesus. His friend, his relative, his partner in ministry, John the Baptist, has just been beheaded in a violent, senseless act against Christianity. And so Jesus' friend, Jesus' relative, someone he cared passionately about, has just violently lost his life. And listen, a personal loss like that always takes a toll on your body, on your emotions, on your spirit. Jesus tried to get away for some alone time in the beginning of chapter 14. He couldn't do it. Thousands started following him. And so when thousands started following him, Jesus did what Jesus does. He had compassion on the crowd, the Bible says, and he walked out and began to heal the sick. While he's in the middle of the hill and the sick, somebody says, hey, this crowd has not ate in over a day. And so you know the story. Jesus took a little bit of bread, a little bit of fish, and the Bible says he did a miracle and fed 5,000 men, not counting women and children. So estimates are 20,000 plus people. So keep in mind what's going on with Jesus, a personal loss where he's lost someone dear to him. Miracles have been going out of him. The, the feeding of the 5,000 is another miracle, and he was in a, he's in an earthly body. And so when we get to verse 22, he is emotionally and physically exhausted. Now, by no means am I saying Jesus was running on empty, but I'm saying that if he was ever going to be running on empty, he has been giving and giving and giving, and now he finds himself depleted. And when we get to verse 22, here's what we see, the first word, immediately. Immediately he sends the people away. Why? So for one reason, so he can spend time with the Lord. Because Jesus, when he was in an earthly body, even Jesus in that earthly body, could not run on empty. And by the way, neither can you, and neither can I. Can I tell you this, when it comes to prayer, that you're going to have a lot of things that are always pulling at your energy. They're going to pull up your emotional energy, your physical energy, your spiritual energy, your mental energy. You're always going to have things pulling at your enemy. You're going to have energy. You're going to have loss in your life. You're going to have death, you're going to have sickness, you're going to have heartache, you're going to have disappointment. You're, you're going to have people in your life who are a drain on your energy. Don't, don't look at them. Some more than others, amen, some more than others. But if you're a parent, kids are a drain on your energy, right? If you're married... A spouse can be a drain on your energy if you're doing it right. If your friends, your coworkers, people in general are a drain on your energy. Not only that, ministry will drain. You say, well, preacher, I'm not in the ministry. Yes, you are. When I use the word ministry, I mean that, that general word for pouring your life into others. And if you're living life the right way, you're always pouring your life into others. And all of that eventually drains you down. And it will, it will take all of the gas out of your tank. It'll take all the juice out of your battery. And there is only one way for a child of God to re-energize. And it's not sleep and it's not a vacation. Those things are great and I'm all for all those things. But the number one way a child of God re-energizes is spending time with the Lord. And if you don't spend time with God, your batteries will never, ever charge. Your gas tank will never, ever get full. I saw the story this week, and I thought about this as I was going to preach on it, that in Fremont, California, Fremont, California, where Teslas are made, and, and about a year ago, uh, a little, well, about a, two years ago almost, the Fremont, California Police Department came out and said they were going to be the first, the first police department in the United States to pioneer using Teslas 
in the police force because they cost more money up front, but they thought it would, a battery-powered car would save money over time. And so in 2019, they bought a, in the beginning, they bought a 2014 Tesla S for $61,000 and spent the whole year modifying it, putting more money in it to get it up to go. In last September, that policeman in that car got in a high-speed chase with what they, call, in what they called a felony vehicle, and at some times they were running 120 miles an hour. And Officer Hartman, who you just saw, phoned in the headquarters in the middle of that chase, and he said, hey, I'm going to need somebody to take over the lead position of the chase. And they said, why? And he said, I have six miles until my battery is dead. And they did a little investigating because it sputtered on the side of the road, and here's what they found out. Someone had forgot to plug it in the day before. And 120 miles an hour will drain a battery in a hurry. I saw the story and I thought, that's you. That's us. You know what? We, we run at 120 miles an hour a lot of the time. As a matter of fact, do you know what you call the days when you run at 120 miles an hour all day long? You know what you call that day? You call that Monday. Right? Tuesday. That, that's our lives. We are always running at 120 miles an hour. And if you want to get a charge in your life, if you want to get spiritual energy in your life, if you want to get your gas tank full, listen, it'll only come as you spend time with the Lord on a daily basis, as you recharge, as you fill up your gas tank. Listen to me. The Lord will recharge you emotionally. He will recharge you spiritually, mentally. And listen, I believe even physically. Did you know this? I am more rested when I I spend time with the Lord than when I don't. You want to make talking to God easy in prayer? Then do it every single day. And God will recharge your Christian life. He will fill up the tank of your Christian life. And you won't be running on empty. You want prayer to be hard? Then you'd be running on empty. And the more you run on empty, the more your mind, the more your body, the more your soul says, I don't have time for that. I don't have time for that. But when you pray every day, your body, mind, and soul say, yes, I need to do it. Yes, I've, I can't live without it today. Number two, the second thing we learn from Jesus is this, is you've got to find some alone time. Look what he says in verse 23. He said, after dismissing the crowds, he went up on the mountain by himself, and he, well into the night, he was there alone. Dismissing him by himself there alone. Can I just say this in brief? If you want to really get good at talking to the Lord, you're going to have to find some time alone. There's no way to have godly conversations, prayer, when you are not alone. I know what some of you, look, I get it. I know what some of you mom and dads are thinking, right? I, I know what you're thinking. Pre <laughs> Preacher, you're talking about alone time. You're an empty nester. I get it. I get it. I get it. And the only way it's going to happen is if you do it on purpose. It may you, require you to rise early. That's what my wife and I both do. I'll, I'll talk about that later. It may require you to stay up late. It may require you to skip lunch with the gang and go pull your car over somewhere, take your Bible, and read and spend some time with the Lord. Whatever it takes, you're going to have to on purpose dismiss the crowd around, around you. Get by yourself and find some time alone. But that leads me into point number three, where you're going to have to find some alone place. Here's what he said. He went up on that mountain and he was there alone. Jesus had this special affinity for going into the garden or into the mountain in order to pray. He had that place. And can I tell you what, that I've experienced the anxiety of this in my own life? I want to be honest with you. I've experienced the anxiety of having that alone time and that alone place. And I'll be honest, it comes in stages. 
When your kids are very little, it's hard to find. I've not always had a home office. I have the last couple of decades, but I've not always had a home office. And when your kids are little, I get it. If you have a home office, it probably has toys in it or diapers or something. I, I get it. Those places are hard to find. And, and look, when they get to be teenagers, it just feels like they grow and the house shrinks and it, their own place is hard to find. And when you get to become an empty nester, I was, an, I was a young empty nester. Can all the empty nesters say amen? Right? Like, amen, amen. I know you young parents, you got one-year-olds, you're like, oh, preacher, I can't imagine the day. Trust me, it'll be fine when you get there. It'll be fine. We moved Michaela out, who's watching online right now. We moved Michaela out, and um, Savannah had already moved out, my oldest daughter. We moved Michaela out, and I just, we went on a cruise. That's how we solved that problem. We just went on a cruise and, and didn't worry about it. And so, um, look, empty nester, when you're an empty nester, the house gets bigger again a little bit, and... Uh, I'm going to tell you this, you need that alone time, you need that alone place, and sometimes the time can dictate the place. What do you mean? Well, the kitchen table at 7 a.m. is probably not a quiet place, but it may be at 5 a.m. Here's what Jesus said. But when you go, when you pray, go into your private room closet, the King James says, shut your door and pray to your Father who is in secret. The word translated private room there in closet in some translations meant an inner room in the house. It wasn't necessarily a closet, but it would be an inner room in the house. And Jesus said, look, I get it. it, it houses were much, 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 much smaller then than they are today. And Jesus said, I get it. It's hard to find alone time and find a lone place. Just go into the smallest room you have where nobody is and shut the door. Spend time with God. You may not know who this is, but how many of you have heard of John and Charles Wesley? Let me see your hand in the building. You've heard of John and Charles Wesley? This is their mother, Susanna Wesley, and, and I don't, her story is such a great story to read. She had 10 children. I think one died when they were young, but listen, she raised godly young men and women in her household. Now, Susanna Wesley, you'd have to know their story. They lived in a tiny house, and now, ladies, let me just, men, let me just set, the, let me set the tone for you. When Susanna Wesley was around, there was no electricity, and let me put it in context, no microwave, no oven. No dishwasher, no washing machine, no dryer, no running water, no Publix, Kroger's. Do I need to say more? Y'all good? Y'all get it, right? Y'all get it? Anybody calls that the good old days has lost their minds. That's where Susanna Wesley lived with 10 kids. She spent two hours a day alone with God in a tiny, tiny house. You know how she did it? Susanna Wesley would take her rocking chair and pull it up near the fireplace in the center of the home, kids all around her, and she wore an apron that went down to her feet, and she would lay her Bible in her lap, and she would literally take her apron and flip it over her head. And underneath the apron, with the Bible in her lap, she read and prayed for her family. She read the Bible and prayed for her family for two hours a day. Now, now that was not sleeping until 9 o'clock and going to bed at 9 o'clock. That was a lady who was getting up at 3 and 4 in the morning, going to bed late at night, who in the middle of all that found a tent made out of an apron. I, I don't know what you have to do. I know what I have to do. I know what I've had to do. I, I, know, I'm, I know it's, listen, we learn it from Jesus. You've got to have an alone time 
and you've got to find an alone place. So the fourth thing we learn from Jesus is this. Number four, don't rush your prayer time. Here's what he said here in verse 23. Well into the night. Now let me tell you, Jesus, by this point, I've already explained to you how tired he was. I've already told you how exhausted he was. Every way you could be exhausted. Jesus was exhausted, yet he had spent time with the Lord well into the night. Now, can we be honest? The temptation of you and of me would have been to say, hey, I'm going to pray, and went and found a rock, whispered a prayer, and slept for a few hours. And sleep sometimes is important, I get it. But what's always important is your time with the Lord. And I tell you, if we learn it from Jesus, we learn it all throughout the Bible, don't rush your time with the Lord. It needs more than a minute. It may need 30 minutes. It may need an hour. But listen, uh, reading a Bible verse, saying a one-sentence prayer, and grabbing a donut, heading out the door is not time spent with the Lord. If Jesus told us anything, it's that God wants quality and quantity. Quality and and quantity. So you've got to carve out that time and place where you could sit down and not rush your time with the Lord. Because the fifth thing we learn is this. Storms don't wait for you to get ready for them. Verses 22 and 23, we have that great passage about Jesus praying. And then look at verse 24. It says, the disciples were battered by the ways because the wind was against them. See, here's what the devil knew. The devil was like, you know what? I know Jesus is trying to recharge his batteries, but I'm going to make it so that as soon as he's done, he's going to have to come down here and deal with this storm. So here's what Jesus, he's already been dealing with major issues. He's been dealing with sickness and death and disease and hunger. He's been solving all that. He gets a few minutes in prayer, and he's going to have to go back and literally calm a hurricane. And I want to tell you that for us, you need to learn it, that the energy storms in your life are going to be relentless. As soon as you finish up with one, there's another on the horizon. And here's why I want you to grab this. If your theory is, preacher, when things calm down, I'll learn to spend time with the Lord. Let me be honest with you. Things are never going to calm down. I live that lie. You know what, there were years I always thought things, not in my time with the Lord, but I just always thought things were going to calm down. And when we were changing diapers, I'd say, well, I'll tell you what, as soon as we get them out of these diapers, things will get easier. And then they get into school, and that's as crazy as I'll get out. And then you think, well, as soon as we get them like into middle school, it'll get easier. And that was no easier. And then you're like, well, when we get a driver's license, it'll be easier. And that was no easier. And then we're like, well, when we're empty nesters, we'll have more time. And then we had a grandchild and two more on the way. And that didn't give us any more time. And here's what I know. Life is never going to slow down. You run at a breakneck speed all your life and then you die. You're welcome. (laughs) And you're going to be in a storm, coming out of a storm, and heading into another one. And what you have got to do, what we all have to do, is learn to spend time with the Lord in the busyness and the hecticness of life because the storms aren't going to wait. The storm's not going to say, oh, oh, you're not prayed up and ready to go? I'm sorry, let me wait a couple of days and you, you work it out with God and then I'll send disaster your way. It doesn't work that way. Number six, I want to tell you this, hard work can't solve all your problems. You've got to understand that. If you're going to make praying easier, here's why. He said, when they got in the boat, the wind ceased. But here's what I want you to know. I'm just going to hit it and move on. When times get tough, you know what we think? The Bible says in that, I love in the passage that they rode harder. It was not 
rowing was not the problem. Hard work was not the problem. They needed a miracle of God to get them out of the situation. So listen to me. Hard work doesn't heal the sick. Hard work doesn't raise the dead. Hard work doesn't feed the 20,000. Hard work doesn't calm the storm. You're going to have continually in your life issues that need divine intervention. If hard work solved all our problems, we wouldn't need to pray, but it doesn't. And prayer gets easier for you when you realize you are not the answer to all of your problems. That prayer gets easier for you when we realize, hey, I've got an issue going in my life and the only thing I know to do is pray. The only person I know that can fix this is God. And I, you don't have to beg somebody to prayer when you've come to realization, I can't handle this on my own. And then number seven, I'm finished. If you're going to make praying easier you're going to have to find a plan that fits you if you go back to where the, remember the disciples said jesus teach us to pray as john the baptist taught his disciples you, you remember the prayer our father who on heaven hallowed be thy name thy kingdom come thy will be done we call it the lord's prayer or the disciples prayer really that was not a plan we were that was not a prayer we were just supposed to repeat verbatim it was it was a it was a laid out outline of prayer we were supposed to do now that's another sermon i'm not even going to dive into that aspect of it i'm trying to get us to that point and maybe another sermon i'll do that but here's what i want to do i want to walk you this morning i rarely do this kind of thing but i'm going to walk you through what i do in my devotion i spend about an hour a day with the lord and i want to walk you through what i do every single day and i'm going to explain to you why i do what i do every single day so i didn't care i'm going to, i'm going to put a few words on the screen but take a few notes if you need some help and if you've got your own plan down amen praise god but let me help those that don't this morning so let me tell you the first thing i do the first thing i do is i get up early in the morning at the very very latest 6 a.m in the morning and uh, often much earlier than that. My wife is on this kick recently where she's up at 4.30 in the morning, 5 o'clock in the morning. And uh, it's just hard for me to stay in bed much longer. I, I, I try. Trust me, I try. But if she gets up at 4.30, I'm, I'm pretty much right behind her. But generally, we're up by 5.36 at the absolute sleeping in to us is 6 o'clock. Like we've already said in the morning, we're going to sleep in a little bit, Lord willing, and that means 6 o'clock we'll, we'll get up in the morning. So we're up at by 6 a.m. every day, sometimes a lot earlier. At 6 a.m. Uh, or when we get up, Sherry will go to her place to do her devotions. And I'm showing you some of the books I use today. Sherry carries a stack of devotional books with her, her Bible, and other things that she uses. In the morning, I'm just going to show you what I use. Now, I get up first thing, and I'm not saved until I've had a shower and a cup of coffee. Matter of fact, I need to coordinate it with Jesus. When the rapture comes back, it needs to be during my second cup of coffee. Or I'm afraid I'm going to miss it. So I need, I need a shower and a cup of coffee first thing in the morning. So I get up at 6 a.m., do that, and I'm ready in just a minute. And then I pour my coffee and I head to my office. And here's the exact routine I follow every day. Number one, I journal. A few years ago, my wife bought me a, a uh, five-year journal. And by the way, I'm going to send you an email uh, make sure you register online. We'll send it to all the online attendees as well. I'm going to send you an email this week that gives you to an old website I used to have, joelsutherland.com. Please don't go look at it. It's old. Hadn't updated in years. I did a few updates over the weekend just to get ready for this. Uh, but it was when I was a full-time church consultant, and I had it out there. Anyway, ignore all that. But I'll send you a link where you can just 
click on the Amazon link and order them this week. So uh, this is a five-year journal. So what I do is I get up every morning and I journal about a paragraph every morning. Now, I know some people are always like, well, I'd like to read that. You wouldn't. It's about the most boring thing you've ever read in your life. I'm just, it's almost like a diary. It's not a spiritual journey. There's spiritual things in here, but it's more like a diary. And I enjoy uh, looking back on, uh, you know, t- uh, the diary uh, last year on this date. Uh, I think uh, we were coming back from vacation or something like that. That was in there this morning. And so I had that down. So I journal. And they say, why do you journal first? Because here's the process I want to teach you. Uh, when you want to form a habit, you want to have a trigger that is easy to do. So the easiest thing for me to do emotionally, spiritually, physically, mentally is to do this journal. It just takes me a minute to write out a paragraph every day. And so I journal every day. And once I pick this up, this thing lays under my desk. Once I pick it up, the process is started. I don't even, I kind of, I don't even think about the next step. I do the exact same steps every day. So the first thing I do is a journal. The second thing I do every morning is read a devotion. Now, I'm, this is my devotion, and I'm not going to recommend this. As a matter of fact, I'm going to put the link to the devotion I did before this. This is a devotion through the Greek language, and it takes you through, uh, it takes a different passage every day. And it, um, it breaks down some Greek words in the passage, and it's written as a devotional, 365. The reason I'm going to show you this is this guy's not, uh, he's not a Baptist, and about six times a year it gets a little wonky, but I, I know I can deal with it and know, you know, chew the meat and spit out the bones. But I'm going I'm to send you the one I did before this will be in the link. But so that kind of gets me, uh, the journaling may not be spiritual, but the devotion definitely is. And he has questions in there and different things. And so I about two or three pages, and I, I go through my devotion. The, the next thing I do is I read a chapter in Proverbs every day. Whatever the day is, is the proverb I read. So today's the 6th, read Proverbs 6. Tomorrow's the 7th, I'll read Proverbs 7. About the only thing that gets left out very much, about six times a year, Proverbs 31, will get left out. And so, uh, as for you women anyway, and um, uh, I, I always say, I live with Proverbs 30 woman and 31 woman and my wife, so I'm good to go. If I have any questions, I'll just ask her. But uh, it's not like I'm going to go start, you know, I don't have a whole sermon series on Proverbs 31. Uh, so, but anyway, I get it six times a year. That's good enough for me. Um, and y'all can read it more than that if you want to. All right, I'm going to step in something if I don't get out of that. All right. Um, uh, the next thing I do is I read through my Bible in two years. Now, I've just had this Bible about, and by the way, Proverbs, I'm going to start my Wednesday night series back soon with that I did through Proverbs. We, we did it online. I'm going to start it back soon. It, to me, it's the, it is the greatest wisdom book in the Bible and teach you more about day-to-day living than any other book in the Bible. I mean, if, if you just let my Bible fall open, the chances are it's going to fall open to Proverbs. And I've only had this Bible about six months. And it's already, if you look at Proverbs, it's already marked all up with notes all beside it. And uh, I go through and categorize the Proverbs as I read them and that kind of thing. And uh, I just bought this Bible, and I actually bought another one just like it uh, when my daughter announced her second grandson was coming along. And I shipped it, this is a long story, shipped it to Mexico, and I'm having it rebound with a special kind of leather that should make it indestructible and last forever. When I get that one back, I'm shipping this one there and having it rebound, and then I have a third grandson coming, and I'm going to ship another one and have it rebound. It's a little expensive, but I'm, I'm, I'm going to go through these Bibles on a regular basis, and every two years I read through my Bible, I'm going to use one, and then I'm going to keep using it, but I'm going to give it to grandsons eventually one day. I'm trying to save it up for them uh, so they can have it. You don't care about that, but that's what I'm doing. So I, I read through the Bible in two years. Now, let me tell you why I do it in two years and tell you a little bit about that. Um, number one, if you try to read through the Bible in a year, it's a whole lot. And if you get behind by a day or two, you get really behind. Now, if you can do it in a year, 
Have at it. Like, that's good for you. I just can't. I, before COVID, I traveled so much around the nation speaking and all that that I, I just couldn't do it uh, uh, every year. It's just too much. It weighed me down. I found myself just reading to check it off the list. Every two years lets me slow down a little bit. And what I'm telling you today, I only do Monday through Fridays. On Saturday and Sunday, I freestyle it. And on Saturday and Sunday, I ask the Lord to bring things to my mind that I need to pray for. And then I always pray for my sermon and Sunday service and needs in the church. So I, I do that during the week too, but I, I do it specifically on Saturday and Sunday. So I overread Monday through Friday to get it done in two years. So instead of just marking off one passage, I may mark off two or three um, in order to get it done in the right amount of time. This year, I'm reading through the Bible chronologically in two years, which what that means is it takes the uh, Bible, so there won't be four Gospels. It'll be one Gospel, and it may have Matthew 1 first, and then it have, may have a chapter in Mark or a passage in Mark, or, and then it may pull something out of John, and it puts it all in a timeline in the New Testament. And then in the Old Testament, it does the same thing. So right now, I'm reading through the Minor Prophets, and I'll be honest, Micah and Obadiah, Nahum, they don't make a lot of sense unless you know when the prophecy was given, even Isaiah, Ezekiel, Lamentations, Jeremiah, all the same. So it takes them and puts them in the context of 1st, 2nd Kings, 1st, 2nd Chronicles, all that, so you know when the prophecy was given and why it was given. So I'm going to read through it chronologically. I didn't do it yet, but I'll put a link to the, I found a PDF online for a, and you can buy a chronological Bible. I have a chronological Bible, and I, if I can think about it, I'll put a link to that. So I read through my Bible in two years. So what I've done so far is I've journaled, read a devotion, read Proverbs every day, and then I do a three-year uh, two-year Bible reading plan, and then I read a spiritual book. Now, this is one I've done, but I'm not, this is not the one I'm doing now. I'm going to put a link to a book called How to Pray by Ronnie Floyd. I just read it uh, in my devotional time, and I read like a chapter a day, four or five pages a day. If, if they're short chapters, I may read two chapters, but five to six, seven pages a day. Now, this is one that would be great to do. It's Ian Bounds on Prayer, which is kind of the seminal work on prayer from yesteryear, fantastic book on prayer. But I always read a book um, that has to do with prayer, your spiritual life, sometimes the church, but it's always a spiritual book. And I do all of that. You say, how do I spend an hour with God? I do all of that, and then finally, I pray. And people are like, well, well I'm fired up through here. Like, by the time I get here, I'm, I, I've, done, I've done prayed and shouted the devil out, and I'm ready to, I'm, 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 I've done you know, uh, got spiritual, shout the devil out, and I'm ready to pray. And I start off my prayer time with music. And so um, uh, I've, got, I've got a devotion, uh, a, a playlist on Apple Music called De Devotional Life, and I listen to certain songs, and I change those in and out all the time. And so I start off with music, and then I sing to the Lord, which only he enjoys, but I sing to the Lord uh, to start off my prayer time. And then I spend 20 to 30 minutes or more praying to the Lord. And I know some of you think, well, that's a lot. And that doesn't have to be your plan. Mine has developed and molded. But can I tell you this? There's a reason it's in this order. This is the easiest thing you can do. This is the hardest thing you can do. The devil does not mind me journal journaling. All hell will assail when you try to start to pray. And so he's just not going to put up with you doing this. And he, he just about likes them the least in, in that order. Maybe not quite, but close. And I have to do all of this to just get to a place where every morning where I'm ready. I'm three cups of coffee in by the time I get to here and spending time with the Lord. You have got to have a plan that fits. So how do you, how do you make talking with God easy? Here it is. You realize you can't run on empty. Like you just can't. 
Once you realize you're running on empty, can I tell you, when you're running on empty, your nerves are on edge. You're emotionally exhausted. Spiritually, you have nothing to give. And prayer becomes easier when you realize prayer recharges your life every day. Find a alone time, find a alone place. Spend some time there, don't rush it. You'll pray better when you realize the storms are not waiting for you to pray. When you realize hard work is not going to solve all your problems. And when you realize that, just have a plan. Just have a plan. Work the plan. Have a plan. Work the plan. Have a plan. I, I'm not spiritual when I start this off every morning, but it starts the process and lets me get spiritual. Close your Bibles. Stay with me. I'm going to finish up. I know it's very practical, but let me, let me tell you a story. Um, there is a organization, a, a not-for-profit organization that monitors spiritual activity on the internet. It's specifically Google Trends and spiritual activity. One of the things, Google started in 2004, and one of the things they monitored since Google Trends came along in 2004 is they monitored the search intensity for prayer. And they monitor it, get this, in 75 different countries. Search intensity for prayer in 75 different countries. Here's what they discovered this year. That the search intensity for prayer in all of those countries was flat. Hardly existent, but just flat. Until COVID started. And here's what they discovered across the board. That the search intensity for prayer doubles every 80,000 new registered cases of COVID in their nation. It was true across the board that the more COVID came into their nation, the more the search engine activity for prayer doubled. As a matter of fact, it has been the largest spike in prayer intensity documented since Google has been around the largest. So when a pandemic came sweeping in, and by the way, it was true even for Muslim nations. When the pandemic came sweeping in, all of a sudden we wanted to know how to pray. But I can't tell you something, this is not, this is not, oh, do what Joel does. I'm just telling you, when the pandemic started, you know how much my prayer life changed? Not at all. Because I'd learned a long time ago, storms don't wait for me to get ready to pray. That if you're not going to pray in the sunshine, you're probably not going to pray, pray in the storm. So just learn to pray. Make it easy to talk to God. What, what about you? Hey, if you're in the room at Rossville, would you stand up with your heads bowed, your eyes closed? If you're watching online, don't go away. I'm going to say a word to you in just a moment. Heads are bowed, eyes are closed. <clears throat> If you're here today and you don't know Jesus as the Lord and Savior of your life, get this. Uh, you don't have anybody to pray to. You say, oh, preacher, I, th I think God's answered my prayer. He hasn't. The Bible is very, very specific that God only hears the prayers of his children. And you say, well, aren't we all God's children? No, we're all God's creation, but we're not all God's children. You have to trust in Jesus and be saved to be the child of God. If you're not a Christian today but would like to be, it's as simple as ABC. Hey, you've got to admit that you're a sinner and cannot save yourself. The Bible says, whosoever... Uh, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. You are a sinner. I am a sinner. We all are sinners. That's, that's not rocket science. 
But B, you've got to believe that Christ died on the cross for your sins and rose again the third day. That's the gospel story. You've got to admit your sin. You've got to believe the gospel. And C, you have to confess Jesus as the Lord and Savior of your life. The Bible says, whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. So heads are bowed. Nobody's looking. If you'd like to pray and receive Jesus today, I want to help you pray. The prayer doesn't save you, but the intent of your heart is to trust Jesus as the Lord and Savior of your life. I want to help you pray. Because probably it's the first time you've ever prayed and meant it. If you'd like to become a Christian today, and look, we have people do this every week. It's, it's so unusual if somebody doesn't do this, either online or in the room. It happens every week. All heads are bowed, all eyes are closed. Pray this prayer with me. Dear Lord Jesus, I know that I'm a sinner and I can't save myself. But I know that Christ died on the cross for my sin and rose again the third day. And so just now, I invite Christ into my life to forgive me of my sin, to save me, and to give me a home in heaven. And I trust Jesus and Jesus alone to do that. Every head bowed, every eye closed, no matter if you're online or in a room, but if you just prayed that prayer and trusted Christ, look this way. If you just, if you just prayed that prayer, no matter where you are, you are born again. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to text, take your phone sometime today, and send us a text. The number is 97,000, where the phone number goes, type in 97000, and text the word, I did, no spaces, I did, to 97,000. And there's a booklet we want to send you. It tells you the next seven steps to take in the Christian life. So we want to send you that booklet, and it'll, you'll be frustrated if you don't know what comes next. And this booklet will tell you what comes next. So text, I did, to 97,000, sometime today. And if you're watching this on Monday night or you're watching this on our app later on, you can do it at any time. I did to 97,000. Now, heads are bowed, eyes are closed all over the place. If you're watching online, heads bowed. I want you to have a moment with God in peace and quiet. I want, you to, I want you to testify to God. This is not the preacher. I won't see most of the hands, but this is not, I'm not even looking for the hands, but I, I want you to testify to God. I want you to have a moment with God. And if you're bold enough to say wherever you are, God, my prayer life needs improved, and I want to improve my prayer life. If you're bold enough to say that this morning, would you just lift your hand, hold it up for a minute? Just let the Lord see it. I don't have to see it. Just hold up at Rossville online here. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Hands all across the building. Father, our prayer is today that we would be men and women of prayer, teenagers who pray, who develop that habit as early on as we can to spend time with the Lord to walk with you on a daily basis, to let you speak in our lives and us speak to you and you speak back to us. and We advance forward in the Christian life. May it be so. Or the room and online's full of people who love you, but they're running on empty. And there's a storm around the corner. May this be the day in the week we change that. May this be the day in the week that we were saying to ourselves we're saying to God this I'll find that place I'll find that time I'll get that plan I'm not running on empty anymore Jesus I need you every day every day or that'll change our church that'll change our families that'll change our community that'll change our nation that'll change us and may it be so in Jesus name we pray amen we hope that you've enjoyed the message this week as we help equip you to apply God's Word to your daily life. For the latest updates about what's happening around Peavine City, be sure to like us on Facebook and follow us on Instagram and Twitter. 
For more information about Peavine or to get in touch with us, please visit our website, peavine.org. Thanks for listening.